right, welcome, welcome. This is Sonia Cato. I'm a nurse anesthesiologist and host of the Psychedelic Healing Podcast. Everyone, welcome. I am honored to have Janelle LaSalle here. She is a freelance writer and artist who specializes in producing cannabis and psychedelic content. Much of her work is data-driven and research-oriented, which I love, and she highlights the therapeutic promise and potential of cannabinoids and other psychedelics as they continue to emerge, and we all know that they are happily emerging. She has produced content for much uh, many publications like Field Trip, Psychedelic Support, Mind Cure, and actually also written articles that were published in Forbes, Vice, and The Rolling Stone. She has just published a wonderful book called The Ketamine Handbook. It's a beginner's guide to ketamine-assisted therapy for depression, anxiety, trauma, PTSD, and more. Welcome, Janelle. Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction, Sonia. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I when I saw that and I, I saw that you are into the research and psychedelic and cannabis space, at first I'm like, oh, how does she know so much about ketamine? How did you get into ketamine? <laughs> It's a really funny story, actually. The first time I got into it, I understand the bias people have. I was in England doing study abroad in 2012, and I was at a house party where I noticed someone was crawling on the floor on just his arms, like he was a soldier or something. And he was screaming, I left my legs behind. Where are my legs? Okay. And I looked at him and I was like, okay, whatever this guy is on, never going to try that. I asked everybody, I was like, hey, what happened to that guy? And like, oh, he's had too much ketamine. So the first introduction to ketamine, I was actually, like I think a lot of people are still, when they hear it, there's that association of horse tranquilizer or some kind of weird drug. And I had that and I totally understood. And it wasn't until maybe like 2020, 2019 that I started using it therapeutically with direction guidance and at much smaller doses than that guy at the house party and real this guy's given a bad name right <laughs> yeah totally. if anything that's a good thing if you abuse it is exactly that you're abusing it yes definitely and how did that transition go did you fight it and how how did you accept it to even be able to use it therapeutically after witnessing that yeah, you know, I definitely approached it with the skeptic approach of a of a scientist. I mean, I studied, so I went to UC Berkeley for my undergraduate, and I was originally pre-med, but as I say, English became my mistress, and I just became obsessed with writing. But I did study there for quite a bit, and so I like to think the scientific method was the way I approached it, which is, okay, my first impression of this was bad, and then I started actually hanging out with some people and I noticed changes in their personality that were really drastic in around 2019, 2020. One of my closest friends actually. And I was really surprised because it happened almost overnight that like all of a sudden a lot of my friends were way less depressed and just making these positive changes in their life. Like, and I was asking them, I was like, hey, what is going on? Like, you seem like really happy in the, yeah, I started using ketamine actually, and it's really helping. So I went for the data because <laughs> I had this little experience that totally biased me. And the data behind it is crazy. I mean, there are so few drugs that you can point to in the world that you can say as little as one administration can have a profound effect 
an antidepressant effect that is real and telling most people, okay, you have to wait for an SSRI and you might have to wait six to 12 weeks and it may or may not work. That was like something compelling. And I was like, okay, I have to try this. The The data is crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's been, I mean, ketamine has been used since the Vietnam War. I mean, the first ketamine clinic opened in 2000. So it's been around for a long time. And I've mm-hmm. personally been doing anesthesia since uh, 2014 using ketamine. And it wasn't until 2019 that I was like, I found out at a conference that ketamine can Yeah, I feel like health. 2019 is when it yeah. started poking out again somehow, not exactly sure. And and a, lo- a few of us were taking notice like, what's that? I was writing so much about cannabis at the time. I was looking into all these entheogenic substances. Ketamine was one of them, DMT, ayahuasca. And, you know, now uh, that as that emerges, it's just more and more putting your ear out for, hey, you're right, this has been out for a while, but how are we only learning the therapeutic value of this today? Yeah, yeah. Word of mouth spreading finally. And the, I think <laughs> the, uh, the other psychedelics coming about and not quite legal, but we have this medicine that's been legal and available for years that we're able to administer. So while the other ones have their own therapeutic value, you know, we have something that we can help people now. You know, yes. and it's so beautiful. How did you, did you receive it in a clinic or were you doing the at-home model? So I, I started like most people with this street model <laughs> and it's not okay. the model I would recommend because oh, yeah. it's very hard to ensure number one, that what you're getting is actually ketamine, that it hasn't been cut with adulterants. It's very hard to regulate dosing, but I was lucky. I had a trusted source. I knew for a fact it was not messed with. I knew that my friends had been taking it and had positive effects. So, you know, I experimented with very small amounts. And then when I found out, wow, this has really helped me, I made it my mission to find a provider who prescribed it for me, who ended up being an endocrinologist. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I have not thought they're very uh they're very hard to come by the psychiatrist. There's a huge need for the mental health space for that. And even those that are there are not educated in that, sadly. You know, a lot of them I'm educating so many psychiatrists about its benefits and its uses. This is not we're not trying to get rid of your patients because they will need ongoing care, some of them. But what if they started feeling better and had Mm-hmm. lives live their best possible life you know with maybe lowered meds but some will always need medications right yeah uh, less side effects so beautiful i love that and then what inspired you to write this book about ketamine you know i've just been collecting information on it for so long and the more that i used it in my own personal life it was life To say life-changing is really an understatement that doesn't encompass it. So let's give you some background. I have treatment-resistant depression. I also have PTSD. And the combination of those is a double whammy of chronic effects on my poor body. And I had tried everything. I had tried antidepressants. I had tried mood stabilizers. I had tried anti-anxiety medications. I had tried every kind of therapy, talk therapy, just nothing, 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 nothing working. So when I found something that worked, even in the tiniest amount of using it, 
I felt like it suddenly was my mission to pursue this thing. And so I started looking for opportunities where I could create content about all of this information that I'd been stockpiling and started working with a lot of these psychedelic companies like Field Trip at the time. Like I wrote these articles, why the term a bad trip is misleading. Things trying to educate people about the stigma of what we think a drug is like maybe in a recreational setting versus what it's like in a therapeutic controlled way. Oh, 100%. Yeah. The bad trips, no such thing as a bad trip. It's only bad. Challenging and integration. Well, and yes. a lot of times, yes, challenging. Yes. It's a lot of times stuff that you need to work through that comes out. But if you're at a club with people yep. you don't know <laughs> and you get that is not ground, that it's not a therapeutic <laughs> space, you know? And that's what I love too about, you know, your main focus and everyone's main focus in this ketamine space is finding the right space, finding the right clinic, finding the right support, you know, because they're not created equal. There was an article I even saw recently from New York that it described a patient's horrible experience, a traumatic experience. I mean, imagine having a challenging experience, but being left alone in the room without the appropriate support, without integration, you know, and that is what's going to give ketamine and ketamine clinics a bad name, you know? So I love that, that chapter in you about what to look for, the questions to ask. I'm so glad you're speaking to the setting. The set and setting is a thing we talk about in psychedelics a lot, right? The environment in which you take whatever you're taking and the mindset you have when you're going into it play a huge role in the desired outcome. So exactly like you said, Ketamine, when we're taking it, it can make us all of these memories we had been trying to push away come to the front of our minds. And like what you mentioned, the term integration is, for those who aren't in the know, is taking that trauma and instead of pushing it away, making it okay. Being like, I see that that happened. I understand. I process. I accept. I'm moving on rather than just push it away, push it away. And exactly like you said, People have these epiphanies all the time, but without the right setting, that's why it's so important with ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, there are clinics that make sure they're doing that due diligence of what does this patient need to have the best possible experience? Whether it's, okay, we're going to have someone in the room to monitor their blood pressure. We're going to have a therapist present. We're going to have integration services. Like That is so important to the positive outcomes that can result from ketamine. Yeah, exactly. And and I do want to emphasize to everyone that, you know, ketamine is not the only thing that you need. It's not the end all that, oh, I go in, get an infusion and perfect, I'm done. No, you have to do the I work. Wish. <laughs> yeah, you have to do the work. You have to integrate, you know, the awareness that comes out of psychedelics and ketamine and psilocybin and all the medications. There's so much that comes out. And if you don't process it, it just goes away. And you'll feel great yes. because the medicine makes you feel great for a little bit because it rebalances the neurotransmitters, it decreases inflammation, you get the the neuroplasticity. And so you do feel great. But if you don't actually do the work, it goes away. And eventually you'll get back to where you started, sadly, you know. And um, now this book is so amazing because it is so well written, very easy to read. For the, the for the layman, because sometimes some books go in and it's so scientific. So even though at first I'm like, oh, shit, a clinician, but it was it was a perfect read because that's what people need, how people will accept it and learn from it. So I love it how how you did that. Thank you. You know, you're welcome. Yeah, I love that. That's what I think. So. One of the strengths is, is 
a lot of that information is like gated because it's so technical and really a lot for the average person to process. So I feel like the joy that I had in this book was taking the works of all these great scientists and researchers and finding a way to write it so that anyone could read it. You don't have to have special degrees or education and get the information you need. Exactly. Yeah. And then I definitely want to like kind of start diving more a little bit more deep in what I was saying, because it is so important for those, you know, we can go on and on about the science and what ketamine does. But for those that are, you know, desperate for help, you know, what is it that what are your top tips when finding uh, looking for a clinic? That is a fantastic question. I would say the first thing is obviously to do your research, do your homework, like I've actually seen ketamine clinic ads on my Facebook feed now, and it can be tempting to just feel like, oh, this is cool. Click, sign up, boom, without stopping to take the time to research what you're getting into. So you need to make sure that, that the establishment you're going to work with is vetted, that people have gone there, they've had good experiences, that they offer integration. Actually, that's let's shift that back to number one. Yeah, I would say the number one. Yeah, the number one most important thing when you're looking for a ketamine-assisted psychotherapy facility is to make sure they do their due diligence with the integration. Because just like you said, if you don't have a professional who is guiding you through how to process and integrate the information and insights, exactly like you said, it's going to be a short term. Oh, I feel better, and then you're going to go back to square one. Obviously, the most important part of your book is definitely in finding a ketamine clinic for those that are desperate for help, right? Uh, what would you say are your top tips for finding the, the best ketamine clinic for you? And then really the red flags as well. I'm so glad you asked. That's a fantastic question. The first tip, the most important, make sure where you are going offers integration services. And as you we were speaking to it, integration is having that facility on staff that's there to take care of the patient, whether that's a therapist, whether that's somebody working in post, making sure as a doctor checking in, doing weekly, hey, how are you? How is things? How have you been affected? Are you noticing any adverse reactions? Integration is so, so important. Like We can't stress it enough in ketamine therapy and in psychedelic healing. So making sure that that facility has integration services that someone is going to be checking in with you is of paramount importance. Yes, I 100% agree. Yeah, initially we when we opened we didn't really understand nor had that available and very quickly, very very quickly we realized that was probably one of the number one things that we needed and we brought on our uh, integration coach probably within 6 months of opening. So it was definitely That's a game changer awesome. for our patients. Yeah, definitely. What are some other things? Like, how would they go about finding a clinic? Like, just yeah, general. you know, I mean, just a basic Google, like, find ketamine assisted therapy, ketamine wellness centers near me. You could even just go into Google Maps. And I've done a quite a bit of in the chapter on like reviewing some of the telehealth clinics, also. That's another option. You have the possibility to do it in a facility entirely or to do some part of it in a facility and some part telehealth it kind of varies you can find it just about anywhere making sure you find something that is the right fit and researching it and vetting it is the important part 
Yes, definitely vetting. And some of the places that if they're going to have a clinic that you're going to go to, you can also visit. So we also have like a lot of patients that will initially do a phone consultation, but they'll come in to be able to see the room, you know, see the space. I prefer that, honestly. I like having that initial point of contact on the phone, get to know someone, and then I like to come in somewhere and and see and feel it out. Make sure it feels good. Feel the energy, yes. Because there's some places that are very clinical, but they also, you know, they're very therapeutic at the same time. But you just have to have that feel, the energy when you're when you're going in for sure. Yeah, I always tell patients, you know, in your book, you also do have a chapter. So I got to defend myself about MD versus nurse practitioner you know, stating, and in your book, it was saying that it was preferable to have MDs. But um, as a nurse practitioner, you know, we've been taught to heal the patient and treat them holistically. And, you know, this is like the perfect space. I mean, nursing and nurse practitioners are probably going to be the future of mental health in the psychedelic space, really being that support. And, you know, a lot of the clinics, you know, while some are run by MDs, and they're doing fabulous jobs, you know, a lot of them and most of them are run by nurse practitioners. I personally am a CRNA or nurse anesthesiologist that I work with ketamine. You know, I've been working with ketamine since 2014. Um, other nurse practitioners, not obviously nurse, not all nurse practitioners are created equal, obviously, but they're always going to have that caring, you know, and so you really want to, you know, vet wherever you're going. But I definitely always, I'm a nurse practitioner is great to have at a ketamine clinic because they are going to have that one-on-one love empathetic care, um, the hands-on really, so they will be safe. But that being said, hey, do they have critical care experience? Are they a critical care nurse practitioner? Did they have ICU experience? You know, are they CRNAs? You know, um, you want them to be able to take care of you in any way it is needed. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've never had an emergency like a cardiac arrest or anything, but in that event, you want to feel comfortable that somebody is able to take care of you, you know? So we have practitioners, we have nurses, we have integration specialists in office. So really having that support in there and knowing who the staff is and what their training is, is, is probably uh, definitely for all, for all clinics, you know? So I love that you had it from that perspective of bringing these questions, like what are these additional certifications or specialties that they can have? Cause that's gleaned from, you know, as you were saying, years of experience that I don't have on the other side here. Right. Yeah. Cause even now when I look for nurse practitioners, like as I, as my clinics are expanding, it's what kind of nurse practitioner are you, you know, because there, mm-hmm. you know, you may be fabulous, but I want you to make sure that you're in a critical care scenario, you're going to be able to manage it independently and feel confident in that space. Not that it rarely happens, but when it does, you should be confident, you know, um, that's where the patients know and they feel so safe. That's the key is you need to feel safe. You need to know mm-hmm. that you can go through everything that you need to go through. Right. Yeah. Go through any tough experiences in your academy clinics. The first infusion I had, my endocrinologist at the time sat in the room with me and she monitored me. And I remember when I started feeling the sense of floating a lot of people describe when they first try ketamine i felt very uncomfortable i felt like i was having a borderline out of body experience where i was lifting almost off the table and i i just looked to her like you know like what's happening exactly as you said it was so important and i'm so grateful that she had this very calm demeanor she was almost laughing she just gave me the smile you know held my hand i was like 
it's okay. This is part of it. This is part of the journey you're going on. Beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome. And then when you finally, how long did it finally take? Was it the whole time that you were felt that way or did it take other infusions before you? I think it was just like a nervous energy, the first infusion, because from there on out, whenever I took it, it, I knew the first one went so well. So it was like this immediate positive feedback loop. So the second time I just felt giddier and less apprehensive because I kind of knew what I was getting into. And the third time I was like, I got this fourth time. Oh my God, I'm so happy I have this. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> How many infusions did you go through? I did one in person there and then I was prescribed oral 25 milligram trochee for take home, which is apparently pretty rare because here in LA, I've been trying to find that protocol and it's been challenging. But um, so I had the 25 milligram oral tablet once a day and I could take that at home. I didn't have the rest of my ketamine um, assisted therapy in a clinical setting, which is kind of the traditional model most people would have. Okay. Oh, so you did kind of like a virtual or you kind of, so essentially yeah. microdosing then a little bit with yes. trochees. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's difficult with the, when you're doing the at home, which is why we stay away from it as well as it's, it's difficult to, because people have that bad name about addiction and, and, oh, you're prescribing it at home and all this. And, and that's why we try to stay away from it. Cause you do have to monitor closely because there yep. is that possibility of abuse. And that's why I still had my endocrinologist monitoring me. So even though I was taking it virtually, we would meet once a week and she would do that, checking in, making sure everything is okay. And she also had coordinated access with my therapist. So the two of them were actually checking in with each other. So that's that's the kind of care team that you were speaking to. The the difference of quality of life that a good care team can offer, them communicating with each other to make sure I was always okay. Yeah. And that's, there's something to be said for having the support in a ketamine clinic setting and really just for mental health, because even in any, and when somebody is looking for help and going to doctors and stuff, you don't have that support and to just be listened to and just to be acknowledged that you are suffering and you are treatment resistant. It's not like, let's try another pill. Let's go up and dose. Let's go up and dose. Let's try another medicine. That in itself is so healing. Yes. Yes. Just by sitting, I, I have patients like crying to me just when I acknowledge of all the suffering that they've been, I, I realize, you know, of course you're depressed. You're going through this, this, and this. People go through depression with just one of the three things you've described to me. Like, of course you're going through PTSD. Of course you're going through trauma, you know? Let's work with that, but acknowledge that that, like, it's real, you know? And they've just been pushed off for so many years. It's it's um, so rewarding to have this tool, you know? And I that's why I'm so thankful that you wrote this book because it's, something for everyone to be able to read really and to really to like look for and now be able to you know take this book and then be able to find the right and like be able to ask the right questions and really and I love the all the actual research you actually taught me some some stuff about ketamine that I hadn't really because I'm trying to keep up on the research you actually taught me some stuff and I can't even remember what it is now, but I was like oh my god okay now I have to start nerding out on another research topic you know so that was pretty cool yes. <laughs> and the non-scientist very impressed I'm so happy yes let's nerd out together <laughs> yes yes so as far as the so there's different program protocols so you did the in-office 
first session with um, psychotherapy, and then you went home and did the um, daily trochee, so essentially microdosing. Um, did you find that that still benefited you with the depression? That's a really, really low dose. Okay. Yeah, my endocrinologist told me, she said, you know, that's the lowest perceptual dose I give of ketamine. Like, I don't have patients who generally feel it at 25, or that's about where they start feeling the effect. So for me, microdosing, it worked from the get-go, and I never felt the need to increase it, which is strange because a lot of people, you know, give you this idea that it's really addictive. And if you find something you like, you're going to want to do just a bunch of it. And I did not find that was the case for me personally. I found a little helped and I never wanted to take more than just because it was like a Goldilocks amount. It it was just right from the get-go. It was a miracle. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I when I do infusions in the clinic, they're a lot higher dosing. You know, I go 25 milligrams is really nothing in <laughs> essence of <laughs> oh, I know it is. So it is essentially a microdose, which is beautiful, you know, for the daily, you know. Um, but our ketamine patients, you know, doing the IV, they leave knowing that they're like, oh, no, I couldn't do this at home. There's no way, yeah. you know, like no. there's no way I could do that without the support and having, you know, everyone in that space. It's more of a journey in that way. Like, yes, there are so many different ways ketamine can benefit. And this was my particular thing. But, you know, ketamine assisted psychotherapy is so powerful. And exactly like as you were saying, it requires just a little bit more guidance than what you might do at home because you're you're going to have a whole journey, a whole experience, an entire it I would say almost a narrative, but it's complicated. You're going to meet your subconscious mind outside of <laughs> ego. Yeah, that's what I always tell everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do want to touch a little bit and you didn't uh, really talk a lot about it and I, a lot of uh, people that I speak to aren't uh, talking about the patients in the holistic for mental health because imagine when you were in your treatment just the, the deep depression, your nutrition, how is how is your diet and healing? When when someone is taking ketamine, your brain is on overdrive with neuroplasticity, right? So I'm mm -hmm. sure, especially your endocrinologist, I'm sure she emphasized how's your nutrition? How are you eating? Are you giving your brain food? Because even though our brain is 25% of our body weight, or I'm sorry, less than five percent of our body weight, it's 25% of our nutritional needs. You know, and being in that mm -hmm. deep depression. That's why, you know, we've actually turned into more of a holistic approach where we're doing nutrition, nutrient testing and, and doing hormone testing and really seeing the patient gut testing, all that to, to really, because you could be great with ketamine for a little bit, but if your vitamin D is low, your B12, your Z. Well, you're solving the things. root cause. You're going, that's where you're going. You're going to the root cause. Like ketamine helps treat the symptoms. And yes, the neuroplasticity is going to help treat the root cause. But I'm so glad you mentioned diet because it did play a humongous role. I personally, when I cut out gluten and processed food, and I know how cliche so many people are like, yeah, just diet and exercise and you'll be healthy. Okay, that's really easier said than done to actually do to pay attention to all the sugar to not eat processed food is a mission. But my health improved drastically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and having the motivation and really, you know, and I would like to correct in the way that ketamine does get into the root cause in your deep subconscious, because you when you get to the root cause in your mind of the stories that I'm not good enough. I'm stupid. Oh. I'm not worthy. I'll never find love. Those core beliefs. 
Yeah, those core beliefs came back and they're rooted deep, deep down. They are in our subconscious, they're in our default mode network, you know, and ketamine frees that, frees it through acknowledgement and the knowledge and the awareness, right? When you're in that space and you go deep and you become aware of why those stories being there. And it doesn't freak you out. Like when I used to try to grapple with these thoughts before ketamine, I would sit and I'd be like, you know, I'm I'm terrible, I'm not enough or whatever. And I would just be like, oh my God, I'm terrible, I'm not enough. And, and I would never get to a problem-solving or introspective place because I was just stuck in reaction until ketamine. And then I could sit and look at it like at, on a projector and be like, huh, yeah, we're doing this. Yeah, because the way you are like without psychedelics is your ego is right here. So when your stories come out, it's like, it's this battle, internal battle, right? So <laughs> under ketamine, all of a sudden the ego is gone. Yes. Your stories are gone. Your default mode network is, you know, the circulation decreases, your your noises and your voices are gone. And then you just get to see things for what they were. So the traumatic events that happened when you were younger and the different stories that were developed, you just get to see it for what it was without the stories that you could. Yes. You know, and that is powerful in the healing, you know. The Buddhists call that wise mind where you can observe what is happening but not be part of it and there is exactly as you said so much it's strange to think about but so much healing power in okay we're gonna stop putting things in the closet and we're just gonna look at them and try and accept this is what it is yeah and for what it really is not for what you made it up to be yeah right our interpretations so that's where ketamine is so beautiful and all psychedelics really but the only legal psychedelic <laughs> is ketamine and it's so healing. Um, you know, we did go through all of that. Is there any red flags that stand out for you um, in searching for a ketamine clinic? I would just want to make sure, as I said, it was well-researched. So if I was looking at a ketamine clinic and I saw no mention of integration or there was not enough of an emphasis, like if we're like, okay, we'll do one 30-minute check-in with you once a month, that's definitely a red flag. I want to make sure that that is an emphasis. And I think the second thing too is making sure the reviews are out there and that there is enough of a volume of them. Because as you said, so many ketamine clinics are popping up now. It's becoming a trend. And because of the nature of the speed of the demand, like they're going to have less diligence put into them than those first few. So really, we want to see a proven track record of successful and happy patient interactions. Yes, 100%. Yeah, because you'll you'll notice that. And I even, you know, I was trying to find a clinic for my friend in a different state. I won't mention the state, but calling the clinic and asking about, oh, do you provide integration? They said that it's not necessary, that all you need is the ketamine. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that was a big red flag. Um, oh also, you know, there's certain medications when you're on ketamine that you shouldn't be taking or you should hold like benzodiazepines they they you know they compete right so it's not to say that if you have it it's not going to work the clinic just needs to know about it so that we can dose appropriately for them. i'm glad you touched on that because also contraindications so that is another important thing i need to make sure that the clinic is doing their due diligence when I first say, hey, I'm interested that they're taking a thorough patient history that they're asking, do you have a history of psychosis in your family? That is a very important question. Everybody should be asking because, you know, certain conditions 
are genetically, just like with cannabis, there are small odds that it might not affect you in the most therapeutic sense or in the therapeutic sense it affects everybody else. So we need to make sure, are you taking any medicines that might interact poorly? Do you have any health? Like high blood pressure is another one. Ketamine can cause increases in blood pressure. We want to make sure, do you have a history of heart disease in your family? Making sure they're asking for those things. And if the patient's intake is just really short and not thorough, I'm concerned. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's there's certain medications like you could, you know, yeah, uncontrolled hypertension, history of a bleeding stroke, any if they currently have like liver disease, kidney disease, because that's how the medications metabolize and released, right? So obviously, if you are going to cause more damage or not be able to metabolize it, um, that's also important. Exactly. Schizophrenia, right? Schizophrenia. Although schizophrenia. I do want to mention one very interesting point about schizophrenia. So yes. As a lot of the psychiatrists I interviewed, many of them had interesting thoughts on it. And even though they commonly cited, you know, conditions that have history of psychosis as a contraindication for ketamine, I actually had one doctor who told me he successfully treated a schizophrenia patient with a low dose of ketamine. That was uh, Dr. Sam. Yeah, no, he he told me it's been done and I did not know that was possible. So we can't even say that they are totally hard contraindications. We're still figuring it out. Yeah. And we just have to do it very, you know, work with it closely because I've treated bipolar. I've treated uh, borderline personality disorder, which was also an absolute contraindication. But I just realized, you know, with my experience and now doing the work that there, it is possibly to treat. You have to monitor closely, obviously, like those that have manic bipolar because they can go into a manic phase. It can trigger it, right? So, now it's not an absolute contraindication, but we are talking with them daily. We are following up. We're assessing with their psychiatrists regularly, assessing if they're having manic symptoms, right? Like before they get into the full mania, we're like, oh, how are they doing? And so we've had those patients where all of a sudden they're starting to get a little manic. We pause treatment, let the mania subside, make sure the medication's balanced, working oh, with psychiatrists. Yes. You and then that monitoring. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And so that's very, very important, you know, because there's, it's difficult. There are lots of absolute contraindications, but with time and more research, you know, it's going to be movable, right? It's going to be patient specific. I love hearing that you mentioned that because again, these were conditions I asked, you know, hey, is borderline personality disorder contraindication? I got mixed opinions. Some people said absolutely, exactly. No. Some people said maybe wiggle room. Some people, I'm not sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, initially I said no. You know, my my sister had uh, been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and I was able, you know, her and I have a great relationship and I can stop the the panic and instant, you know, episodes. And so I was, I've been actually been able to successfully treat uh, quite a few borderline personality disorders. And I think it's mostly from my own experience, I think. So I'm like blessed you know, and thankful That's for my sister. That's wonderful to hear. Though. Yeah. Because I know, I know people that suffer from that condition and they go, they feel a lot of emotional pain and mm-hmm. hearing that you have a successful history of being able to do that is very encouraging. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's, it's a lot. I discovered it's a lot of inner child work. I mean, all of it, I think really is with mental health, but especially with borderline personality disorder, it's that it's a trauma related inner child. And when you can actually work with that inner child, when she, when he or she comes out, um, whether it's during ketamine before or after, you know, it's so powerful for the patient to really understand who that borderline person is. And it's 
giving them hope and just really just giving themselves grace because it's their inner child hurting and mad and angry, right? And freaking out. Grace is and the perfect word. Yes, for sure. Not being mad at yourself, not throwing extra fuel on the fire. Exactly. Exactly. So, wow. It has been so awesome talking to you, Janelle. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so thankful that you've written this this book to educate others and give them the resource, you know, in the future, edit the nurse practitioner chapter. But (laughs) I in no way, by the way, met any diss on you. You do incredible life-saving work every day. I thank you from head to toe. The only concern I have there is, you know, if there are people doing telehealth services and they are not doing their homework and they maybe have a contraindication that someone who's dealing with a large volume, which I'm seeing with more frequency, our nurse practitioners may miss something. But really, in no way is it, this is better, this is worse. Mm-hmm. Really, as you said, the quality of the care is the number one thing. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Thank you so much, Janelle. So Anything. how can our listeners find you? <laughs> yeah, um, I am on social media at Jen Kari. That's J-E-N-K-H-A-R-I. And if you go to my Instagram, you will find links to everything. My website is LaSalle Works. And on that website and the Instagram are links for the Ketamine Handbook, Beginner's Guide to Ketamine-Assisted Therapy for Depression, Anxiety, Trauma, PTSD, and more. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. And I uh, Thank you so look forward to sharing this book with everyone. Thank you. Thank you. I can't wait to hear your feedback. Oh, yes. Beautiful. Thank you. You have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Thank you.